Would you mind standing with me? Because I want to welcome the Holy Spirit. He's welcome here, but I want to welcome him in an increasing measure. Would you mind lifting your hands? Yeah, that's it. Holy Spirit's even moving right now. You don't need somebody to come up here and work it up. Father, right now, as we sang, let heaven come. What does that mean? It just means we, would you just get down on your lips? Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. That's it. You, you just say, Holy Spirit, and I'm just going to lead you. You pray, Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to come with your power. We welcome your power. We welcome your presence. We welcome your government. We welcome your angels. We welcome your fire. We welcome healing. We welcome signs, wonders, and miracles. God, we welcome everything that the Bible says is available. Father, I am not here to preach or teach one thing that is opposite or contrary to the Word of God. But how many of you know, we know a lot. We know a lot. How much of that are we tasting? Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, just use me, but use all of us today. Such a sweet presence of the Lord here. Use all of us, because I think of that portion in Corinthians, we're vessels, we're clay pots filled with what? We're filled with all-surpassing power. You are filled with the all-surpassing power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You could be seated. I have a message today, very specific, and it's, this is what it's called. This is its title, if you're taking notes. Miracles that reveal glory, open cities, and sustain revival. Say that with me. Reveal glory. Because that's what miracles are supposed to do. Miracles are not for entertainment. Miracles are not a Christian sideshow. Miracles are not charismatic frenzy. Miracles actually reveal the glory of God. But number two, and I don't hear enough people talk about this, do you know what they do? Because how many of you, listen, I'm from Dallas. We got a church on every street corner. There are some street corners where there are two churches there, literally on the same street corner. And I can tell you this, our region, our city, as many evangelical believers as there are there, we're not, it's not a transformed region by any means. But the Lord put it in my heart that one of the things that I believe is going to break open entire cities, territories, and regions are notable miracles. Notable miracles. It's legal for you to contend, cry out, pray for notable miracles. And I've got good news. Do you know whose hands they're going to be done by? You. You're authorized. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. And number three, they break open cities and they sustain revival. Miracles actually sustain revival. Do you know how? It's because the testimony starts to go out. As we see in the Gospels, testimony of what Jesus has done goes outside of these four walls, outside of the Antioch community. People hear about what Jesus is doing. And more than just getting a touch of healing for their body, they actually want to know, is he real? Miracles actually demonstrate Jesus is alive. He is not a concept. He's not a theology. He's not an idea. He is not Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. He's not out in outer space with Doctor Who and the, and the Enterprise. Yeah, I, I, I say that because I'm a nerd and I like sci-fi stuff. But, but he is the God of Isaiah 64.1. Do you know what that says? It's a, it, there's a prayer. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You know what that means? Oh, God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. That is who he is. He is not out there somewhere. He comes down in real time and space, and he manifests his presence and power. I believe he's going to do that today. If you have your Bible, let's open it. How many of you have the old-fashioned 
book version of the book. Come on. All right. Now, I didn't have that. There are many times where I have my newfangled Bible on here, but I got the old-fashioned one here. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Let's open it up. That's been a key text for you guys, but I felt like the Lord said, I want you, Larry, just to go through that briefly as you're opening it up and make some comments. So, starting with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Stop right there. It's possible to be ignorant about the gifts of the Spirit. And you know what happens with ignorance? We simply don't operate in them. We will not operate in something that we're ignorant about. So we are here, I am here, Pastor J.D.'s been doing this series, to actually remove that veil of ignorance. And when I say the word ignorant, it's not a bad thing. It's just that sometimes in the body of Christ, we don't know what we have access to. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay, we're going to get into some interesting revelation here. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to a few select, highly spiritual people. doesn't say that. Look in your Bible. It says, verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. There are two perspectives that are swirling around in the body of Christ about the gifts of the Spirit. I think one is right. One is kind of right. Here's the kind of right one. Because we have nine gifts. How many of you know? We got nine gifts of the Spirit. How many of you can name some of the gifts of the Spirit? Call them out. Brother, tell me some of the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, well, bro, you know, you, you, you're the pastor here. What, 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 you, what were you saying? Word of knowledge. Word of wisdom. Speaking in tongues. Praise God for speaking in tongues. Yes. Yes, and I know you just taught on that, uh, distinguishing between spirits. And I actually like that translation better because sometimes it's like, oh, we're going to teach on discernment. And we teach discernment like, I discern that I don't like that person. I discern that that person has kind of smelly motives. No, distinguishing between spirits actually means there is a supernatural gift and ability upon you, operating in you, to recognize, is that the Holy Spirit? Is that an angel or is that a demon at work? It's actually being able to know what's going on in the spirit realm. Anyway, thank you. You are well-trained. You are well-taught here. But do you know what I want to tell you? Here's the two perspectives on the gifts of the spirit. Number one is this idea that I have that gift. In other words, well, my gift is the gift of healing, so that's kind of what I operate in, and I don't, need, I don't even need to be aware of those other gifts. Or my gift is the word of knowledge, or my gift is the word of wisdom, or hallelujah, I got up and prophesied. That's my gift. That perspective is where we take ownership of the gift. Now, is it true that there are people in the body who operate more fluently in some of those gifts? Absolutely. I don't think that's quite right. That is not what the text is saying. It's talking about the Holy Spirit who is sovereign. And get ready, because the true, I believe, operation of the gifts of the Spirit means no one in the body of Christ is safe. What does that mean? It means at any point and at any time, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, we know that, right? Holy Spirit lives inside of you. At any time, at any point, in any situation, he could manifest or operate in any one of those gifts. 
because he wants, because you have the gift giver living inside of you. There are some gifts you might flow in more than others, and obviously I work with a lot of different people who do have a real healing grace, or they really teach people to operate in words of knowledge or prophecy. I get that, but here's the good news for all of you, and I believe it's the second and very accurate perspective on the gifts of the Spirit. They are for everybody, and at any time, any of you could operate in any one of those gifts. That's pretty cool, which means we cannot be ignorant of any of those gifts. So I just pray that you would not just own the gift you like and dismiss the other ones. I feel the Holy Spirit on that because I believe Antioch Church, what's going to happen in the days ahead is you're going to operate in gifts you never thought you had access to. You're going to operate in gifts because you're being trained on how to operate in them biblically. All right. One spirit. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. I, like, I love verse 10. To another the working of miracles. Just stop there for a moment. The working of miracles. Why is that significant? Because there's two kinds of miracles, at least two, but I'm going to talk about two. Gordon Lindsay, who is really the pioneer of the Voice of Healing movement, highly recommend his book, actually. We're, we're republishing. It's an old book, but probably one of the best books on the gifts of the Spirit ever written. It's called Commissioned with Power. Commissioned with Power. It's like 500 and some odd pages, but it is legit, and the guy knows what he's talking about. But he talks about the reason Paul uses the phrase, the working of miracles, is because There's two categories of miracles. Think about Exodus, where there are those supernatural miracles that God does from heaven, okay? Some involved Moses, some just involved God, like God made the plagues happen, amen? Miracles of nature. But Paul uses the phrase working of miracles. Why? Because we actually partner with God in seeing miracles worked. You and I do not have any ability in and of ourselves to work miracles. Like, you are not the miracle maker, but you partner with God because you are his vessel. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. Amen? But who do you have in the earth? The Holy Spirit. He wants to work miracles through you. He, he, I'm not going to say he needs a hu- human agency because he's God. I will never say God needs anything, but he prefers using and partnering with a human agency, and that is you filled with the Holy Spirit. So he talks about the working of miracles in verse 10, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But I love this, verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to uh, to each one individually as he wills. That means that the Holy Spirit can distribute to you any of these gifts as he wills. I think it's wise for us to be trained and knowledgeable in all of them, But just prepare yourself to be a landing strip for the Holy Spirit to come upon you at any time. And listen, it's not going to be against your will. When I say this, it's not going to be like God takes over your body and you have no say-so. But you know what will happen is you will get a word or an impression or a thought or something that normally you wouldn't even think about or consider, and the Holy Spirit will give that to you. You'll get a nudge. You'll have something where literally you might be able to discern, you know what, that is the Holy Spirit, and that might be some sort of demonic thing operating in that particular situation. Just be hungry, ready, and willing and obedient to partner with the Holy Spirit. 
So those are kind of the two schools of thought on the gifts of the Spirit. I believe what we need to do, though, we recognize we can operate in any of the gifts at any time. So there are really two things that we need to do if that's indeed true. Number one, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So I just tell you right now, biblically, it's legal to desire the gifts of the Spirit. It's, le- it's actually legal as long as your desire is not for you to look like a super Christian and a, like, I want to be a celebrity. I want God to use me so people recognize me. I, I, you know, praise God that is not by and large people's perspective, but it is legal for you to desire to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But number two, 2 Timothy 1.6 says this, fan into flame the gift of God which means there's something that we need to do in order to see these gifts stirred up into operation in our lives. All right, so I'm going to go through my three points of my message here. Number one, miracles unveil God's glory. And I love that because just know when you get a healing or miracle in your life or you're praying for somebody to get healing and miracle, it's far more than just that person being restored and feeling better and getting comfortable. God is a good father and he always wants to heal. I just want to declare that. He is a good father and it is his will and desire and delight to heal you in the same way as a good father. I want to see my 12-year-old daughter healed. I don't want her afflicted with sickness. Amen? As parents, you don't want your child afflicted with sickness. I feel like I need to say this just for a minute so we have a good theology of healing. Listen, the Bible never promises that we will be without suffering. The Bible does not promise that we will be immune to adversity, conflict, persecution, even martyrdom. But one thing I do know that the Bible does not say, does not say, there is no scripture I can read, and I've done a lot of research, that talks about how God put cancer on so-and-so to teach them a lesson. I'm breaking through something right now, okay? Listen, I'm not one of these happy-go-lucky preachers, well, God's just going to, every day is going to be chocolate cupcakes and sprinkles. That is not life, And people do go through stuff. But I want you to have this as an anchor for your soul. He is a good father. Jesus did everything he saw the father do. Amen? Did Jesus ever put cancer on somebody? But you know what he did? He took disease off of people. So I just declare that over you right now. He is a healing God. And even right now, throughout this whole service, you have permission to receive healing. You have permission to receive healing, not just when Larry Sparks, the speaker, is here. You have permission, Antioch, when you come in here and you're dealing with something, you have permission to be healed at any time in a service, in a gathering, in the worship, during the preaching of the word, because that is his will. He is a good God, and he wants to heal people. But Jesus revealed that it's more than just us getting better Every healing and miracle reveals the glory of God. I'm just going to go through these scriptures quickly. Matthew 9, 8, when Jesus healed the paralytic, you can just write these down. When the crowd saw it, I love it, they were afraid and they glorified God. Mark 5, verse 20, the demonized man is delivered. It says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done, and everyone marveled. Oh, God, that there'd be miracles restored to the church that make people marvel again, that marvel at God. When he healed the deaf man, it says, and they were astonished. Mark seven thirty seven, 
And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he, Jesus, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They were astonished beyond measure. I say, God, do it again. Astonished people. There's nothing in the Bible that says he has desired to stop astonishing people through signs, wonders, and miracles. You cannot find that in the Bible because it is not in there. And the last thing, he healed a blind beggar. It says this in Luke 18, 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. The blind guy recovered his sight, followed Jesus, glorifying God. And I love this last bit. It says, and all the people, when they saw it, give praise to God. Miracles reveal that, yes, he's a good father and he wants you well. But more than that, they unveil the glory of God. Miracles are a revelation. We were talking about the book of Revelation before. Revelation, the word revelation, does not mean antichrist, beasts, crazy one world systems. And I understand, like, there's a real legit time and place to talk about that stuff. But do you know what the word revelation means? Unveiling. Miracles are a revelation or an unveiling of the glory of God. That is why it is legal for us to go after miracles. So number one, miracles reveal glory. I'm going to say this last thing because this is just a prophetic word the Lord has told me, and I want to release this over this church, but also this territory. I believe we are going to step into the days very soon, and the Lord gave me two-word phrase, of face-down glory. I just declare that. What does that mean, Larry? Simple. I believe a day is coming, and I felt it. I tasted it even today as we were singing that song, Let Heaven Come. I just tasted it where there's going to be moments and meetings where you won't be able to sit or stand because his presence will be so strong and so thick, and people will be laying on the ground, kneeling, crying out to God. And again, we can't manufacture that, but when his glory, when his weight, kabod, Hebrew word for the weighty presence of God, when he's here, I believe we are going to come into days of face-down glory before the Lord. That is not charismatic Pentecostal language. That is what we've seen in the great evangelical revivals that really marked our nation. Face-down in the presence of God. And I declare that. I prophesy that over this region and over this church. Face-down glory in this building. Three things God wants to fill this building with. And I told, him, I, I told your pastor this, but I'm going to tell you this. He will fill it with people but there's something even more precious than people. I believe God wants to fill this building specifically with prayer, presence, and power. Then you won't be able to stop people from coming. But I give that to you as your charge because it's not just your pastor's charge. All of you carry this word. All of you carry this assignment. He wants to fill it with prayer, presence, and power. All right. Second, I'm going I'm to go on this one quickly. Miracles cause cities to come to repentance. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 20, he said, then he began, it says, then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Okay, what does that mean? Because there's this portion of scripture where Jesus is basically saying, woe to you, or he is saying, hey, basically, this city where I came and I did my mighty miracles, you basically treated it like a show. Nobody repented. And he said, if I had done the same miracles in this city, if I had done those miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities would have repented. What's the context of that? Context is it's possible, and we see it in the book of Acts. I don't have time to go into it. It's possible for a region, a territory, or a city to actually come to repentance because of what? A notable miracle. 
Anybody remember the story in Acts chapter 3? Peter and John, silver and gold we don't have. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. The guy gets, woo, leaping, praising God. But what I love about that is it causes a stir in the city. And in Acts chapter 4, one of the things that, that the, the religious leaders, they could not ignore the miracle and they gave it a category. They called that miracle something. They said, listen, we don't even believe or agree with this Jesus guy, but a notable miracle has been performed. I just want to declare over you, Antioch, it's time for the notable miracles. And I'm going to pray at the end that God uses each of you. Because it talks about Peter and John. I love it. They did not have a sterling repertoire. They were not trained and educated. In fact, the Bible says that the people's criticism of them was they were untrained and unlearned men. But then it goes on to say, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I pray that as you guys just cultivate that life of intimacy, closeness with Jesus in his presence. Do you know what happens? That presence actually starts to rub off on you. You become like Peter, where later on in Acts, he was so saturated by the presence of God that even his shadow healed the sick. I haven't seen my shadow heal the sick, but I read it in the Bible, and you know what that tells me? It's possible. So I do pray for those miracles, notable miracles that cause, could you imagine causing Austin to repent. I'm going to just pray into that right now. Father, I thank you right now that you're raising up not just one or two or a couple people. You're raising up a church who will lay hands on the sick, operate in the gift of working of miracles. And Lord, that is how we will see this season absolutely marked by your presence and a city radically changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Even as I was praying that, listen, there's practical things we do. We feed the homeless. We do the soup kitchen. We, we, we reach out in practical ways, but never, ever exalt the practical um, over the spiritual. In other words, give them the soup, but then say also, hey, you know, I'm going to give you some soup, but I'm also going to give you a word of knowledge. I'm going to give you the soup, but I'm going to pray for your healing in Jesus' name. We give them both the practical and the spiritual. The last thing is this, miracles help sustain revival until Jesus comes back. Let me give you a context for that. This is where I'm going to land the plane, and then we're going we're gonna to have some activation time, some laboratory time, and then we're going to see what else the Lord does. But So miracles help sustain revival. First Chronicles 15, 14 through 15. There we go. Here's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality that we're walking in. It says this, So the Levites and the priests consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. What in the world, Larry, does it have to do with anything you're talking about? I'm glad you asked. Here's the deal. That is an old covenant, Old Testament picture of the reality that you and I walk in. Because number one, the presence of God is not meant to be just carried by one person here or a special person here or an author, a TV preacher. It was actually carried, the Ark of the Covenant that carried the presence of God in the Old Testament was carried by a multitude or a a community of priests, okay? Tracking with me in the Old Testament. But what does the New Testament say about who you are? You are a priest. Well, you may not be wearing a 
clerical collar and a robe or something like that. But what does that mean? It simply means you have direct access to God and Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you get to minister to God without having to go through an intermediary or a mediator. Does that make sense? Bottom line, you are a priest because you minister to and have direct access to God. And just like the priests of old, guess what? You actually carry the Holy Spirit. You carry the presence of God. I even pray that your eyes would be open to what you actually have living inside of you. Holy Spirit, you are a dwelling place for God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God does not dwell in a... He he never longed to dwell in something made by the hands of man. His heart and his desire was to always dwell inside that which he made, which is you. So you get to carry the presence of God. How does that fit into all of this? Well, I'll tell you that. We know this theologically, but we need to flesh out experientially what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we are going to see revival sustained is when we realize we cannot simply depend on a pastor. Just track with me what I'm saying. Pastor is here to equip you for the what? Work of ministry. He is not here to do all the ministry for you. Somebody say amen to that. He is not here to do all the healing for you. He is not here to operate in all the gifts of the Spirit for you. In the same way, you just think of people in the body of Christ, like a Randy Clark or somebody who is reputable, moves in healing. Randy Clark does not exist in the body of Christ or Bill Johnson to heal everybody for you. They don't exist. I mean, this is an old model we saw in the 1940s and 50s where people would do these wonderful healing crusades, and I'm so grateful for that. But that was never meant to be an end in and of itself because you know what? That season stopped. That season actually stopped. Not because God stopped healing people, but I just want to give you a little bit of a revelatory perspective, just studying history. In the 40s and 50s, you had a real powerful healing movement in the body of Christ where you had tent meetings, you had Oral Roberts, A.A. Allen, Jack Coe, Catherine Kuhlman, all these people, and seeing mighty miracles. Do you know why I believe it stopped? Because it was actually never meant to be carried just by one, two, or three notable people who pitched a tent somewhere. I actually believe that, and they just maybe didn't have language for it at the time, they were actually meant to train and equip and impart that to you. That every believer, that is why you have Randy Clark and Bill Johnson in the body of Christ, and they actually know their role and they function, and they exist to train you and I for the work of the ministry. In the same way, a prophet's job is not to hear God so you don't have to. That's where things get weird, goofy, and strange, giving you some real good theology there. Goofy. I love that word. But truly, if somebody's trying to make you depend on them and their ministry, then that is very concerning. They are in the body of Christ, just as your pastor and their team is here, to equip you for the work of the ministry, which means, guess what? You get to operate in the power of God. You get to operate in the working of miracles. So let me ask I'm going to give you just a few ways. How does God heal? Because we see it in the Scripture. Different ways of God. He's not a formula, by the way. God is not a formula. But there are different ways He heals. And in just a minute, we're going to practice some of these. He heals through the laying on of hands. Jesus said, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He heals through a word or a command. Do you remember the story of the centurion servant? where Jesus didn't even need to show up at that place. He spoke a word, and that person was healed. I believe people are going to actually receive healing today who are not in the building. 
I'm going to say that again. You're standing here in proxy for somebody who needs a miracle. I believe they're going to get healed because we're going to declare a word, and that word is going to be the word of the Lord over them, and they're going to get healed. Why? Jesus did it, and Jesus actually said in John 14, the works that I have done, you will do also, and I always get scared by the next thing he said, and greater works. But I say, let's just start doing the same works that he's done. I want to start seeing those, and then I'll let my mind be blown with the greater ones. You also have Acts 19, anointed cloth. And it's not, it wasn't a prayer cloth. They literally took pieces of clothing off of Paul and put them on the sick and the demonized, and they were healed. That's cool, but what's even cooler to me is that the man was so saturated in the presence of God that that was possible. I say, God, saturate me that way. Holy Spirit, you can do that to anybody. If you could do it to somebody like Paul, who, remember, was a persecuting madman, converted, and he, became, he was Saul, and then he became Paul. If God can do it for him, he can do it for you. He can saturate you. There's anointing oil. We read about that in the book of James. And I love it. In the book of James where it talks about healing, there is no if, and, or but. It talks about those who pray the prayer, they pray the prayer of faith and they anoint them with oil, they will be healed. They will be raised up. So I'm contending for that. And the last thing is, I believe what we're going to see, I was talking about that face down glory thing. I believe in atmospheres of the presence of God where God just has full reign and he saturates a building. Well, just like in Acts chapter two, it says he filled the room where they were on the day of Pentecost. I'm praying for the day again where God fills rooms. I'm glad you're here, but I say once again over Antioch, Austin, I believe this is a big space. Yes, it'll have people in it, but I believe it's a big space because you have a big God who still fills rooms. I pray that in the days ahead, you would see what it looks like to have a space, a building, a room filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe in atmospheres like that, healing is just going to happen without anybody laying hands, without anybody doing anything. Why? Because God is there. And he's always in a mood to heal. Because, and, I, and I'm finishing up here because I've, I've got two little activation things we're going to do. And I'm right on time according to my schedule. Praise God. I really believe, I, I, I want to press in for the day that we see actually recorded in the book of Acts, uh, and also particularly the Gospels, where it says Jesus went around doing good and healing a few who were oppressed of the devil. It doesn't say that. It says he went around doing good, healing all. Are we seeing all healed yet? No. But we don't stop until we actually see meetings where everybody gets healed. That's, that's the day that I want to br- bring that vision. I want to bring that day into our day. And also we read time after time, Jesus healed them all. So I'm going to believe today that you are going to experience the healing presence and power of the Holy Spirit.